Hi, this is Nikki Toyamasito, the Executive Director for Christians for Social Action and your host for 20-Minute Takes. And on this episode, we talk with the author and public theologian, Candice Benbow. She's the author of the book, Red Lip Theology. And in this conversation, we talk about the way that Black women are image bearers of God and what it means to work for the full flourishing of all of God's creation. Candice, thank you so much for joining us on 20 Minute Takes. Thank you for having me. Now, so I have to ask, as my absolute first question is, do you have a signature lip color? So, yes. I would say uh, the elephant from uh, Pat McGrath is okay. my go-to, go-to red. And, yeah. and why is that your go-to red? I don't know. Like, there's just something I feel powerful when I wear it. Um, it's so beautiful. Uh, Pat McGrath is a black woman owned company. She's an African American woman who has blaze trails for a lot of us. And I just feel good when I wear it. So I think that's what it is. <laughs> and that's what you want makeup to do, right? You want exactly. to feel good, ready for the world ahead of you. Now, one of the things that I was so excited to talk to you about is, um, I love how you describe yourself as a public theologian, as well mm-hmm. as an author. And, uh, in the spaces where I am, uh, public theologians are usually connected to seminaries or churches or denominations mm-hmm. or um, in the activist space. There's a lot of activists right. who kind of describe themselves as public theologians. But one of the things that I sort of love about you is I see you showing up in places that are around lifestyle and culture mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. Around, in these really unexpected places. And I kind of wonder if in these circles, you're the first person they've hired with the word theologian in their title. I mean, can you tell me a little bit about why public theology in these places, these women magazines and these columns, why there? And what is it that you're trying to do? Yeah. um, Well, fairly often um, a question I get when they talk to me is like, okay, so what is a public theologian? Um, And and that's honestly one of the one of the reasons, if not the main reason, that I wanted to be uh, positioned in the lifestyle, cultural, women's interest space, um, because faith and how we construct and understand the world theologically informs so much of who we are. And if we if we are able to have broader conversations about that, then we're able to make, we're able to recognize the patterns of our behavior. We're, we're able to recognize the patterns of other people's behavior and how they all should work to create much more holistic um, identities and understandings and expressions of ourselves. And so one of the reasons I really hope to and try to position myself in those spaces is because I want to be a part of those conversations. Like the the theological is personal. And if we can have those kinds of conversations, then we can really get to spaces and modes of healing and thriving. Oh, that's amazing. So, I mean, even as you're talking, I'm realizing I usually am the one who has to do the point of integration, right? My faith is over on this one side. And then there's kind of like, my life as a woman is on this other side. Can you say more about what it is you feel like you're able to do, like the opportunity that's in that space that might be different if you were under sort of an ecclesial, under a church umbrella of some sort? 
Well, the first, the first difference is the kinds of conversations I get to have. Like they, there is a real no holds barred um, space when you are not attached to a to a institution, whether it's an an academic one or a religious one, right? Like that that we get to push conversations and and one of the spaces where I really like to lean into is how we can how we can look at pop culture moments and kind of mine them for for deeper reflection and and what what about these moments really cause us to take a pause to to ask some questions and move differently about our about the world in relationship to who we are and who we see God to be and those kind of conversations often welcome perspectives that would not and are not necessarily immediately welcomed in in certain kind of spaces. So I get yeah, I get to have really great conversations in that way and I hope that um as people re-relive theology and as as it works to resonate with them, I hope that they can kind of see what it means to take faith conversations out of their perspective boxes. Yes, absolutely. And make and 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 allow them to like breathe and live in other places. Yeah, which you sort of sounds like you're describing what the invitation is for us as Christians, right? To kind of yeah. live out loud in in all spaces. I love I love that and it's so amazing and also like a little sobering that you find more freedom and spaciousness, you know, in some of these spaces. But that that feels right like theology, how we think about God should be kind of pushing some of those places. You know, absolutely. I think that when we are not honest about um when we're not honest about all of the ways that we have known spirit and experienced spirit that are beyond the bounds of what we were told or where we could tell we could, then we really miss some prime opportunities to move and be differently in the world. And I think I just got to, I think I, along with a lot of other people, got to a place where the movement in the world and moving freer, moving with more grace for myself and for others, empathy and compassion were larger starting points that needed, you know, to uh, to take place. Amazing. Yeah. Your book, Red Lip Theology, can you tell us about Red Lip Theology as well as what is it that you are trying to do or hoping will happen through this book? Yeah. And congratulations. It's an amazing book. Thank you so much. Relic Theology is how I come to understand and know myself as a Black millennial woman of faith. And it it gives me room to be very honest about the ways that church culture, um, being raised in the church and also being formed within hip hop culture made impressions on me um, and they formed my identity, right? And then I also I also get to have broader conversations about what it has meant for me to journey into a much more authentic 
relationship with God that's rooted in and a and a true appreciation of my whole self. Um, and and to lift up, I think one of the main things that I will I hope people get and understand and appreciate as they re-relive theology is that so many of us have had very different experiences growing up. And those experiences often do not lend themselves to um, to being accepted if they lead us or cause us to look at faith differently than other people. And, and so I'm in a space where um, relative theology lifts that you can be a deeply faithful person and your and your faith looks different than other people, right? And that it does not make you any less Christian. Um, it just means that you are honoring the questions that so many other people have that we've all just been taught we're not allowed to have and we're not supposed to ask. And so relic theology really is about what that journey looks like to saying that these questions are sacred and I deserve to explore what the answer can be. Wow. So kind of this uh, following and freedom of question asking. Yeah. What are one or two of the questions that you felt were at one point taboo that you've sort of embraced yeah, um, definitely what it, what it means to see God outside of this gendered identity, like what it meant um, that took its own exploration. And I think a deeper a deeper question about what is actually sin, um, because in so many contexts, I was raised around sin being specific activities. Like if you, if you did this, you sinned. If you did this, you sinned. And a lot of those, a lot of those, those activities were not necessarily, what's the word I'm looking for? They were more rooted in social norms and what other people didn't think respectable, pious women did. Um, but really sitting down and being like, what is, what is sin? If I, if I recognize sin as a disruption to a disruption to my flourishing and a, a, a space of breach in my relationship with the divine, then what does that look like as it relates to my activities and my actions is does that necessarily mean that everything that I was taught before is a sin is a sin? No, right? And so those two questions really are what pushed me to really uh, go into a certain level of exploration. Oh, totally. I, I To sort of question what is the social or cultural overlays that have been put on these things, but they kind of have theological words to it, right? And it kind of makes it sort of loaded. Um, One of the things that you engage with is the different responses folks have with regard to violence against Black men and violence against Black women. Can you unpack that a little bit more? What is it that you have noticed? Yeah. So part of um, one of the things that I noticed growing up was that 
the issues pertaining to Black men and boys were seen with this national emphasis and um, and like this communal urgency. Like whenever something happened, it's like we got to focus on this right now. Like this is important right now. Um, but when those same or similar instances happen with Black women, those weren't conversations that you had, right? That these were seen as like um, communal level, personal level problems that if women, Black women really just adjusted their behaviors, that they'd be okay. And so there's a frustrating level to that because on one hand, um, you do want to call out the structures of inequality and racism that that prevail against Black life, right? And then on the other hand, you're taught that if you are a woman and these things happen to you, it will never raise to the level of, of importance um, that, that it would if you were a Black man or a Black boy. Wow. This is kind of like double the indignity. Yeah. Um, I, one of the things I've appreciated about your work is um, this emphasis on embodiment. And it seem, as I'm listening to you talk, it seems like maybe that's sort of the antidote, um, this affirmation of um, the Imago Dei in the Black female body and kind of the embrace of that. Can you say a little bit more about how it is that you think about embodiment and um, and what some of that kind of looks like. I think the first way that I would back up and, and respond to that is that part of what is um, what grounds relative theology has been this journey to accepting and honoring that Black women bear the image of God. Um, because there are so many forces in this world that will work to suggest otherwise. Um, and then there are so many there are so many forces that work within us where the guilt or shame or insecurity that push against that. And so you have this moment where you lean into we bear the image of God. We are beautiful creation. We are fearfully and we are wonderfully made. And and living into that is is an honoring of the totality of ourselves, right? It's being it's being gracious when we look at our bodies and not picking it apart based on what, you know, standards say. It may mean that we that we look at certain parts of our regimen and say we could be healthier. Um, so that we can have a longer quality of life, but it means to also be gracious and that we we find a way to care about and see ourselves as good creation, as good, so that every decision we make about our wellness is not coming from a place of desperation and lack, but it's coming from the fruitfulness of care and of concern. And so I, I, one of the things that I hope that Black women especially get as they're reading this is that like in living into an understanding of yourself as bearing the image of God 
is one of the most gracious things that you can ever do for you. Um, it it means <laughs> that you that you honor that there is truth and goodness and capacity for growth and capacity for um for you and that you honor boundaries you say no when you need to say no right that you that you say yes to possibilities that may push you out of your comfort zone right um but you find deeper more intentional ways of loving you um because the greatest relationships that you will ever be in is your relationship with God and your relationship with yourself. And if those cannot be where they need to be rooted in health and truth and goodness and grace, then the foundation really is unstable for any other relationship. Wow. Everything else is built on that. Yeah. On those two relationships. Right. Yeah. Yeah. One of the things that I really love is the way that you uh, think about creation care. And I think it's Mm -hmm. much more expansive and generous than I've heard other people talk (laughs) about creation care. Can you say a little bit more about your approach or or your point of view on that? Yeah, um, I do not, you know, so I, I will start first by saying that I think as beautiful as language is, and I say this as someone who who has been called to words, like I work with words, that language is limiting. Like at best, we're using words to to grope towards something. And so when scripture says in Genesis that we were given dominion, um, I do not believe that that is to lord over, right? That like, that that the work of creation is a work of an act of love and it's an act of intention and god did within created man and humanity with as great intention as god created the rest of the world and if we cannot rec- recognize that that's a relationship of interdependence right that there is that we, what we are doing is creating much more harm, right? That like the ways that we are dealing with natural disasters, the ways that we are even dealing with um, ravaging pandemics um, are are largely rooted in an exploitation of of our right to to have a dominion, right? A right to claim stake and land. And instead of honoring, you know, that we are we're in these spaces to live together and and commune with nature, uh, to commune with the land, um, to be good stewards over our actions as the land thrives. Then we really miss it. We really miss a larger point about what it means to care for what God loves. And I wonder how much of that we miss in our own relationships with each other, right? That, like, you know, I have an uncle. My uncle Dean will not kill a bug. He will not kill a bug. Like, he will see a bug. 
he will go get a piece of paper and he will scoop that bug up and he will go outside and he will return it to nature where it can be free. And every time I watch him do that, you know, I think about how I also see him model care for us, right? That like he, he, um, he embodies a care and an empathy and a compassion for us and for humanity that I think we miss so often when we believe that we have the right to treat things as if we, however we want to treat them. And so, you know, part of, part of this work is rooted in creation care because when we can shift the thoughts of dominion and subjection to much more communal, uh, to a much more communal language of interdependence and accountability, yeah, I really do think we have the power to thrive. Yeah. So this this view of creation care is not just an environmental thing, but it is about yeah. all the living things and this it is. interdependence, and then even as you're stretching the boundaries of red lip theology and the care of black women as an act yeah. of creation care. Yeah, it is to love, to love black women and to protect black women is creation care because black women are part of creation. And it, it means being committed to, to dismantling structures that do not, that do not um, honor the whole and the totality of who we are. Like we've got to, we have got to move to a place that we see um, advocacy as what we, not just what we're called to do as, as believers and as Christians, but because if it is fundamentally the right thing to do, right? It is, it, everybody deserves to thrive because we're breathing, right? Um, and we deserve to thrive in community. We deserve to thrive equitably, um, equally, allowing for all of our all of our gifts and our talents and our expressions to be able to land in the forefront. Um, like we all deserve that. We all have that right, and we deserve to live into it. Yeah. Candace, that is one of the most beautiful and all-encompassing pictures I think I've ever heard anyone say about <laughs> kind of this motivation towards justice, right? Like, this is why we move towards that. Candace Benbow, author of Red Lip Theology and Public Theologian, thank you so much for joining us today here on 20 Minute Takes. Thank you. Thank you so much. 20 Minute Takes is a production of Christians for Social Action. Our music was created by Andre Henry, and our show is produced by David DeLeon. I'm your host, Nikki Toyamasito, and if you want to find out more about our work, visit the website at christiansforsocialaction.org.